Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Weekend, we began a new series called Prison Break. Everyone say Prison Break. Prison Break. And so if you weren't here, there are CDs and DVDs available in the bookshop. We're talking about the freedom that God wants for each one of our lives. And from this weekend onward, we'll be looking at a number of different areas that God wants to help us find freedom from. And tonight we're going to look at freedom from depression, a very interesting subject that can sometimes be a bit like a prison that we can struggle to break out of. And I pray it will be a real blessing to you tonight, whether you've had to deal with that challenge or not. We can all learn from this particular topic. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity tonight to gather together to, to celebrate your goodness and to worship you. And as we're sharing this series, Prison Break, Jesus, you came to bring freedom to the prisoners. And so we're praying tonight that you continue to move by your Holy Spirit, that every one of us would find the freedom that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 Uh, many of you would be aware that back in 2002... I went through what I'd describe as a six-month emotional valley. Uh, it was an interesting time in my life. Uh, uh, every day was kind of an effort just to get through the day. The next appointment, the next meeting, just kind of took all the energy that was within me. And, and I was often more glad when something was over than in looking forward to it or experiencing it. And it was just kind of like the clouds came into my world and the shutters went down a little bit. And uh, my emotional tank was just kind of unempty. And I didn't quite know what was going on. I thought, well, is this God kind of got me in a bit of a wilderness thing that's happening? Is this the devil? Do I need to rebuke something? around? Is it a midlife crisis maybe? Uh, I really didn't know what was going on and so it was kind of working through this season. Thankfully I had some people in my world that I could talk to about it and over a period of time I came to realize that I was really going through a, a form of depression and uh, almost a, an adrenaline exhaustion if you would because I've been living at a pace that wasn't sustainable. I was just kind of going and lots of things happening and travel and ministry and meetings and enjoying it and it's almost like my emotions just kind of shut down and said, we refuse to live at this pace anymore. And it wasn't just a snap out of it thing. Quick prayer, you'll be okay. It actually took me some time and some adjustments and some help and support till eventually I kind of came up out of that valley and the clouds lifted and the shutters came up and things were kind of normal again. I haven't been back in that valley since then, but there's been a couple of times where I've been near the edge and I can read my emotions and symptoms a bit now and I can sense myself near that particular experience. And again, I make some adjustments so that I, I don't go back there again. But what about you? Have you ever been depressed? Depression simply means low mood. And I think if we're honest, everyone has times of low mood. I mean, your football team loses. And for some of you, that happens more often than others. But we won't go there. Uh, you, you fail a test. A friend moves away. You have a difficult day. I mean, you know, things aren't going too well. We all experience some level of low mood. In those types of situations, usually they, the low mood lifts after a couple of days, maybe even a couple of hours. But, you know, some people have this low mood, this depression. It can settle in for months, if not years, and be there for quite a period of time. Now, depression is a very complex subject. It has a whole variety of different forms. There are different causes. There are different symptoms. There are different degrees from very mild uh, right through to someone possibly being suicidal. Uh, some of the symptoms or indicators that a person is depressed would include a change in their thinking, first of all. When someone's depressed, their thinking is affected. They tend to be far more negative. They tend to be quite pessimistic, 
Small obstacles can be almost insurmountable, and sometimes they even have difficulty concentrating. So thinking is one of the symptoms of someone who's depressed. Uh, Secondly, their mood changes. When you're depressed, you're often very sad. You can be discouraged and almost overwhelmed, and you lack an ability to enjoy things that you normally would. In fact, you almost have an inability to experience pleasure. It's another symptom of depression, a change in mood. And then thirdly, it is a change in behavior. When someone's depressed, often they're quite lethargic. They have a high degree of fatigue. They can feel sleepy and lack energy and sometimes be indecisive in making decisions and in moving forward. These, these are some of the symptoms that would indicate that someone may be experiencing a bout of depression. Well, where does depression come from? What causes it? Again, there's a whole variety of possible causes of depression. Sometimes it just comes from stress, uh, life's tough. It's difficult. I was driving today, picking up my son from uh, his work, and I was just coming to an intersection, and bang, there was this huge accident in front of me. Uh, Thankfully, no one was seriously hurt, but it was a a very serious accident. And I'm sure for those people, you know, it's been a stressful day. There's going to be some low mood for a while, especially for the young P-plater girl whose fault it was, and her car's in a mess. And, you know, so sometimes just the stress of life and crises that come along, that can be a cause of depressing emotions. Sometimes it can be grief that causes depression. If you ever lost a loved one, you'll know what it is to go through a period of, of low mood and, and to feel down because of the loss. Or uh, maybe it's losing something else that's valuable in our life. Uh, anger can cause depression. Guilt, fear, uh, negativity, there are other causes. Uh, sometimes it's an ad- adrenaline exhaustion, which was my case, just living at a, at a pace and trying to do too much. That can contribute towards depression. And, and another area is the area of genetics or biological causes. And sometimes uh, the brain has some chemistry things that just aren't quite working right, and often medication is needed to rectify that. So, so there's a whole variety of causes and a whole variety of symptoms. What we need to understand is depression is not a new emotion. It's been around for thousands of years. It's an age-old problem. But in our generation, it's becoming an epidemic. An epidemic. Uh, we're just seeing a, an untold uh, uh, you know, frequency of people getting this depression emotion, even amongst children and young people. And someone's actually called it the, the common cold of the emotions because it seems to be so frequent that people catch it. It's estimated that one in eight men will have a a severe bout of depression somewhere in their life, and one in three women will have a severe severe, uh, bout of depression. And so women are twice as likely to get depressed as men. There's a lot of theories about why that's the case. Uh, Someone sent me an email this week with a a humorous... uh, explanation as to why men are never depressed. I thought I'd just share this with you just for a bit of fun tonight. Why men are never depressed. The same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. (laughs) Phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. Car mechanics tell you the truth. Same work, more pay. Wedding dress, $5,000. Tux rental, $100. One mood, all the time. Uh, This isn't my idea. Someone sent me this. A a five-day holiday requires only one suitcase. You can open all of your own jars. You get extra credit for the slightest act of thoughtfulness. 
If someone forgets to invite you, he or she can still be your friend. Your underwear is $8.95 for a three-pack. Some of you are getting free of depression right now. I just, the Holy Spirit has just moved into this meeting and you have, you only have to shave your face and neck. Be free in Jesus' name. You don't have to stop and think which way to turn a nut on a bolt. You can do your nails with a pocket knife. (laughs) And you can do your Christmas shopping for 25 relatives on December 24th in 25 minutes. No wonder men never get depressed. Well, that's one theory. Uh, Humor aside, one of the things that uh, people believe is a reason why women get more depressed is women often tend to feel their depression. Where men don't always feel their depression, often they act out their depression. And sometimes when men are depressed, they may not feel sad, but they may be more irritable or angry or kind of immerse themselves in work or get involved in adrenaline-producing activities that may be addictive. And so men may not always feel their depression as much as women and so don't always recognize it, but both men and women are affected by depression, by low mood. Now, one of the things we need to understand is there's a stigma attached to depression. Some people think that if you're depressed, it's a sign of weakness and that strong people never get depressed. That's that's simply not true. Uh, Many of you would have heard of Winston Churchill, one of the great leaders of last century who led the Allied forces in World War II to victory over Hitler. He suffered regularly with depression. In fact, he labeled his depression the black dog. And there were many days when the black dog was in the room. And there were other days when... Anyone seen the black dog? It was gone. Winston Churchill was not a weak person, yet he suffered from depression. Martin Luther, the great leader of the Reformation, had regular battles with depression. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, also had regular battles with depression. In his book, Lectures to My Students, he has a whole chapter called The Minister's Fainting Fits, where he talks about battling with various emotions like depression. So it's it's not a sign of weakness. Some people think that depression is an indicator that you've been in sin. And that God is punishing you for your disobedience. Well, again, occasionally that may be the case, but most often that's not the reason why you're suffering from depression. Some people think that if you're depressed, it means you've got no faith. And if you just simply had more faith, then you would live on the mountaintops all the time. You'd be victorious and you'd never feel down. Anyone heard that one? Well, again... Not not really true. In fact, I talked to a lady after the first meeting and she made a great comment. She said, you know, when you're working through depression, you don't lack faith. It's your faith that keeps you going. What you lack is hope. What a powerful statement. It's not a lack of faith. Often those people are hanging on to God. What they need is some hope that they'll be able to come out of that valley. Another common stigma with depression is that it's demonic. And if you just rebuke it in Jesus' name, it'll be gone. Now, again, there are times where the enemy can send oppression across a person's mind, and that does need to be rebuked, and we can take authority over that. But that's not always the case. In fact, often it is not the case. And so some of these negative views of depression can really uh, damage people's lives if we're not careful. In contrast, Arch Hart, who's a Christian counselor, he sees depression often as a healing emotion. It's there for our benefit, a bit like pain. 
You know, we don't like pain, but aren't you thankful for the feeling of pain? I mean, if you put your hand in the fire and you didn't feel pain, how many know you're in trouble? Did you just kind of leave it there? <laughs> but the fact that you feel pain makes you pull your hand out. It's, it's the body's warning system to say, hey, danger, you need to do something. And that's the way depression can be in our life. Someone once said, depression is the cry of the soul that something's wrong. And so I said, it's a healing emotion. It can be a gift if we respond to it properly. So one of the challenges with depression is you can't see it. If a friend of yours broke their arm, then they would have a cast on their arm, and it'd be very obvious that, they're, uh, that they've hurt themselves and they need some time for healing. You wouldn't say, come and help me lift this. You would understand that, look, they've got an injury, they can't do everything they'd normally do, and you would adjust your expectations until the cast is off and they're moving in. Are you with me? The trouble with depression is you can't see it. And the truth is, depression can be just as painful as a broken arm and just as difficult to work through, and yet often we don't adjust our expectations to realize the person's actually hurting right now and they need some time to recover. Well, what does God have to say about this? Well, as always, God has a lot to say about the practical areas of our life. If you look up the word depression in the concordance, you won't find many Bible verses on depression, but the concept of discouragement, despair, low mood depression is quite frequently mentioned through the Bible. In fact, some of the heroes of the faith experienced depression. People like Job. Anyone heard of Job? He had some pretty down days. Uh, What about Moses? I mean, Moses was a phenomenal leader. There was days when he wanted to die. And kill everyone else in his world. You ever had one of those days? Uh, what about Jeremiah? I mean, Jeremiah, you know, I mean, he is called to preach. No one responded. I mean, he, he, he said, curse be the day that I was born. It's pretty down. Uh, Jeremiah, Jonah, uh, these were not weak people. These were not people in sin. These were not people without faith. And yet they went through experiences of sometimes severe depression that they had to work through. We're going to look at one person who also in the Bible went through an incredible battle with depression. His name was Elijah. Anyone heard of Elijah? A great prophet. And so we're going to turn to 1 Kings 19, if you've got a Bible, and look at this story together tonight. Uh, just before we read verse 1 of 1 Kings 19, a bit of background. Elijah was a prophet in Israel. At this time in Israel, the king is Ahab. And Ahab's, Ahab is backslidden, and most of the nation is worshipping a foreign god called Baal. And so Elijah's preaching, and uh, there's been no rain for three years because of the judgment upon their sin. And Elijah actually calls a confrontation. He says to the people, look, you've got to make a decision. You can't continually go back and forth. Either you've got to serve God or you're going to serve Baal. You've got to get off the fence. And so he calls the whole nation up to Mount Carmel. He says to the prophets of Baal, there's 450 of them, come on, let's go up to the mountain. And what we're going to do, we're going to get two balls. We're going to offer a sacrifice. And the God who answers by fire, that's who we're going to serve. So we got this big confrontation up on the... Let's make a great movie, this one. And so they get there. There's a 450 prophets of Baal. And, and Elijah says, you go first. Come on, pick a ball. So they pick a ball. They get it on the, on the altar there. And they're crying out to Baal. God, Baal, answer by fire. They're going, going, going. I mean, the whole morning goes by and nothing's happening. Not a breath of wind, no fire, nothing. Um, so they get pretty desperate. They start cutting themselves. They're crying out, Baal, Baal. Elijah's a little cheeky. He starts teasing them. He goes... Maybe Baal's on holidays. 
can read about it in chapter 18. Maybe, he, maybe he's still asleep. You need to yell a little louder. Maybe, he need, maybe you need to wake him up. But he's just kind of teasing with him. And he says, okay, guys, my turn. And, and he grabs this second ball, puts it on the altar. He says, come on, pour some water over. And they do that th- at least three times. And then he begins to pray. And fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, the wood. And he says, who do you want to serve? God. They all said, yeah, God, God, we'll serve God. And all the prophets of Baal, they're executed. And, and uh, suddenly, Elijah says, I can hear some rain. And he says to his servant, go and look. And there's just a little cloud eventually after seven times prayer. And then it starts to fill the, the sky with clouds. And he says to Ahab, come on, get in your chariot. <laughs> it's going to rain. And so Ahab gets in the chariot to Jezreel. And it says the Holy Spirit took a hold of Elijah. And he ran faster than the chariot. He was trucking along there, chariots of fire. And uh, he ran 27 kilometers to the nearest town of Jezreel. What, what a day! That's a mighty man of faith and power. Incredible. That's the background. And now we read 1 Kings 19 and verse 1. Everyone there? Now Ahab told Jezebel, that's his wife, Jezzy. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba, that's another 145 kilometers south of Jezreel, in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, that's a tree about 12 feet tall, long branches, and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. <laughs> I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. And you can see he's kind of come from the mountaintop into a deep valley of despair. In fact, he's so depressed, he's suicidal. He, he, he wants to die. He wants to end it all. I want to keep reading the story. I want to look for some principles as to how God helped Elijah work through his depression. Remember, in the New Testament, Paul tells us everything written in the Old Testament was written for our benefit. Although this is a story, a true story, a narrative, there are principles that we can glean for us. I realize there's lots of different types of depression, but there's some keys here in Elijah's journey that I believe can help each one of us today. So what we're going to do is we're going to use the word hope as an acronym and just draw four principles out of the story. Uh, H-O-P-E for some practical ways to finding freedom, to getting out that, of that prison of depression. Letter H, the first one, is to honor your physical body. Honor your physical body. If you're taking notes, write that down. And let's keep reading from verse 5. Then Elijah lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread. That's the first record of angel food cake. Now <laughs> oh, you're a little slow. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. He said, Elijah, 
Come on, get up and have something to eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, how many know there's, there's no accident with what's in the Bible? Here's Elijah, huge mountaintop experience. He's now depressed, so depressed he wants to die. God doesn't show up, but he sends an angel. And we have an encounter here where the angel recognizes Elijah is totally exhausted. He is emotionally and physically worn out. He's had a huge high, and now he's in this low, and he's he's despairing. And he begins to attend to his physical well-being. And so what happens when we're depressed, we often neglect our physical body. If we're going to get out of depression, break out of that prison, we need to honor our physical body. The word honor means to value, to respect, to treat worthily. Our our, our body is the, the dwelling place, the house, the temple of God. And so it's very simple. He lets Elijah sleep. You know, sometimes uh, when you're depressed, you just need to sleep. You just need to rest. The average person needs seven to eight hours sleep a night. Just sleep. He lets Elijah sleep. He lets him rest. See, life isn't meant to be or even all mountaintops. There's engagement and then there's disengagement. There's this rhythm of life where we're engaged in activity, then we need to rest and recover. One of the things that had caused my month, six-month valley is that I hadn't been living a balanced life. I wasn't taking up my day off regularly. I wasn't uh, making sure that I had time to recover from ministry. I'd be off in India for two weeks and come back and speak on the weekend, then head off here. And I was going uh, at a pace that couldn't be sustained. And, and sometimes we, we just need to rest. We need to make sure that we're living a balanced life, that we're looking after ourselves physically. Uh, eating healthily. You notice the angel got some food for him cooked up some bread and some water. It's, come on, have something to eat. You know, scientifically, it's been proven that what we eat dramatically affects our well-being. Uh, just eating some healthy foods and what we drink has a big impact on our, our health and our energy. And then thirdly is exercise. Again, he'd had too much exercise. I mean, he's running 27 kilometers. He's down here. I mean, he's wiped out. Our problem in our day is often we don't have enough exercise. And sometimes when you're depressed, you don't feel like doing anything. Again, uh, research has proven that just activity, taking a walk, playing some sport, being active, increases your physical, emotional, and mental well-being. And so this is very simple, very deep for a Saturday night. But where does, where does God start? He just starts by looking after Elijah physically, getting some sleep, some rest, eating well, some exercise. And, you know, again, it's been proven that if you're physically fit and well, you are less prone to getting depression in the first place. But if you are experiencing a period of low mood, instead of you know, putting on weight and eating unhealthy foods and not exercising, if you will just begin to honor your physical body, it's a key to starting to come out of that prison, out of that valley of depression. So H is for honor your physical body. The letter O is for observe your thinking. Observe your thinking. Let's keep reading now. So first of all, God sends an angel just looks after Elijah's physical well-being. Let's go down to verse 9 now. So Elijah went into a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, just a little tip. When God asks a question, it's not because he lacks information. In the garden, when God says, Adam, where are you? It's not because God's lost Adam. Anyone seen Adam? Where's Adam? We've lost him. Adam, where... No, when God says, Adam, where are you? 
He's a good counselor. He doesn't immediately direct. He asks questions because he wants Adam to acknowledge where he is. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, who who, who do people say that I am? Has Jesus forgot his name? Has he lost his identity? Quick, someone tell him, you're Jesus. No, no. No, he, he again wants them to acknowledge, well, who do you think that I am? And so when God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? He's wanting Elijah to begin to think about how he's thinking. See, when you're depressed, your thinking gets very, very negative. And it goes on and there's this encounter with God, the, the thunder, earthquake, fire, etc. And then down in verse 13, he asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And see, what's happening with Elijah? Because he's feeling depressed, his thinking is all distorted. Have you ever been one of those hall of mirrors? with all those funny mirrors, and you look in one, and you're twice as tall as you really are. And you go to the next one, and you're half as tall. You look like a little pygmy. And then the next one, you're about three times as wide. You quickly move on from that one. And then you've got one where you're really thin. You tend to stand there for a while. Now, now what's happening? The mirrors are giving you a distorted view of what you really look like. See, depression affects our thinking that way. Things that are small become exaggerated. Things that are actually quite big get minimized. And if you look at Elijah's answer to God's question, what are you doing here? Come on, let's read verse 10. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Now, in answering the question, he's revealing his thinking. Now, is his thinking accurate? Well, first of all, he's just forgotten the mountaintop. I mean, come on. God answered by fire and all the people said, we'll serve God. He's forgotten the good things. And see, when you're depressed, you selectively remove the good things that God is doing in your life. Not only that, he's distorted how bad things are. He thinks he's the only one left. If you get down to verse 18, God has to nicely say, "Uh, Elijah, by the way, there's still 7,000. Things are 7,000 times better than Elijah has made them out to be. And so God is coming in. He's having some conversation with Elijah to get him to observe his thinking and then begin to adjust and right-size him back to reality. And I'll tell you what, when you're depressed, when you're in low mood, you need some help to begin to change the distortions in your thinking. See, what tends to happen is we act depressed because we're feeling depressed. And we're feeling depressed usually because we're thinking depressing thoughts. What God does with Elijah, he doesn't say, what are you, what are you feeling depressed? He doesn't start here with the symptoms. He goes right to the root, the way Elijah is thinking. See, it's a downward spiral. We think negative, we feel negative, we act negative. In fact, it's an accumulative effect. Because what happens if you think depressing thoughts, you feel depressed. And then when you feel depressed, you think more depressing thoughts. And then when you think more depressing thoughts, you feel it's just a downward spiral that can be very, very hard to break. Thankfully, the Bible has given us the promise that the Holy Spirit's there to help us renew our mind that we can renew our mind, that we can come to the Word of God. That's why reading God's Word is so important. The Word of God is an accurate mirror. 
that shows us the way things really are. Not exaggerated, not minimized. The Word of God's an accurate mirror that we can read and renew our mind and get our thinking straight. So, how are you going with God's treatment here? Honoring your physical body, observing your thinking and making some changes. Letter P is we need to sometimes provoke ourselves to action. Provoke ourselves to action. Let's have a little look at verse uh, 15 here. So after this little discussion about why you're here, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death those who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, let's watch the progress. So, uh, God's given some attention to Elijah's physical well-being. He started to work on reshaping his thinking. The next thing he does, he gives him an assignment. He says, okay, Elijah, time to get out of the cave. I want you to go and do some things. He, he recommissions him. Notice he only gives him three tasks, not 50, three. Anoint these two kings and anoint Elisha as the person for you to train to succeed you. One of the things that happens when you're depressed is you tend to not want to do anything. How many know if Elijah just would have stayed in that cave, he probably would have kept going down. And see, sometimes when you're depressed, you don't feel like doing anything. You just kind of want to blob. You want to kind of check out from life. But sometimes that hinders the healing process. And so one of the best things we can do is to provoke ourselves to action. Again, we may need to minimize the activities we're involved in. Like I said, God didn't give Elijah 50 things to do. We need to right-size it. But sometimes just getting back with a few simple tasks, the routine of life can be part of our healing process. During my six-month valley, I had to slow down and do a few less things, but I kept engaged with life. Even though I didn't feel like doing some things, I kept doing them. And just keeping in the race, keeping in the rhythm of life helped me to come out of that valley. Just do some simple tasks and keep serving other people. I read an article this week. It was just amazing. A leading mental health professional was being interviewed, and they said to him, if someone was about to have a nervous breakdown, what would you advise them? Most people thought he'd say, well, quickly go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. He, without hesitation, said this, tell them to go out of their house, lock the door, cross the road, find someone in need, and begin to help them. Leading health professional saying, you know what? If you're struggling with all these emotions, how about you get busy helping somebody else? Because when you help somebody else, you get away from that kind of mire of self-pity and your problems tend to get right-sized. That's what God's doing with Elijah. He said, okay, Elijah, come on, you're doing a bit better physically. We're working on your thinking. Hey, you've still got a life to live. You've got a purpose. The kingdom's moving forward. I've got a couple of kings for you to anoint. You need to get a successor. God's getting him back on track with his purpose in life. One of the biggest dangers when we're going through depression is we can just kind of pull out of the race of life. We need to provoke ourselves to some action. Letter E, H-O-P-E. E is to establish supportive relationships. Establish supportive relationships. You'll notice back in verse 3 and 4 that part of this whole depression incident 
was that Elijah was alone. Look at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Very important words. And he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Can you notice that it was when Elijah was alone? He left his servant, his partner in ministry. It was when he was alone that he hit bottom. See, isolation feeds our despair. Sometimes when you're depressed, you may not want to be with people, but we need supportive relationships. And part of God's assignment was not only anoint two kings, but go and get another servant. Go and get Elisha. He got him back into community. He wanted him to do life and ministry with other people, not alone. Remember last week, we said part of our freedom is moving from isolation into community. And if you're going through depression, you need supportive relationships. You need people around you to encourage you, to support you, and to provide perspective and a sounding board. See, the Word of God is an accurate mirror, but sometimes we need people to to hear us talk about stuff and say, you know, hold on, hold on, that's not really true. We need people to help adjust our thinking. We need friends. We need small groups. We need a church community. Sometimes we need a counselor, someone who's gifted in understanding an emotion like depression, just to sit and to talk through and help you. And we need doctors. We need medical professions at times if our depression is very severe. These are all our support team. Don't isolate yourself from people. You need relationships even more when you're going through times of low mood. The amazing thing about Elijah, despite his incredible bout of depression, with God helping him to honor his physical body, observe his thinking, renew his mind a bit, uh, get back, provoking him to action, and then getting him back into relationship. Elijah went on. He continued to minister. In fact, what's really funny, you know how he wanted to die? He was suicidal. Elijah never died. (laughs) How good is that? I mean, he went up to heaven. You know, one of the the most common phrases in the Old Testament is, it came to pass. And the good news about most depression is it comes to pass. It's not the end. It may be a valley, but there is hope. And Elijah would be telling us, he'd be saying to you today, I had a really tough time, but there's hope for you today. You can come out of that valley. You can come out of that prison. There's a future for you. And so I pray today, maybe you're here tonight and, and you're going through some low mood, some depression of some sort. I pray that you'll take action from tonight, that maybe for you it's just getting some exercise going and losing a bit of weight and watching your diet. Maybe that's a practical uh, takeaway for you. Maybe it's uh, really working on some of your thinking. Maybe you're looking in those distorted mirrors too much and you you need some help just to kind of really get some reality thinking into your world. Uh, Maybe for you it's just getting back and serving and helping just at the degree you can and ensuring you've got people around you to help you through this season. I believe there is hope for anyone who may be going through a period of depression. The other thing I'd just say in the last few minutes, I think this is a great example of how we as a church community should treat people who are going through a time of depression. God is a phenomenal model. Do you notice how God handles Elijah? He handles him with great care. Great care. With great sensitivity, with encouragement, with delicate confrontation, and with a lot of patience. You know, the story we've just read probably takes a couple of months' time. This isn't just a a quick day, a quick moment. God's very patient in helping Elijah work through and come out of this valley. And I really pray that City Life will continue to be a community 
that's a safe place so that when people have got a broken arm, hey, we're sensitive. When, when someone's struggling with depression, we're there to support them, to help them, and to be patient with them as they work through what's going on in their life. Amen? And that's what God wants his community to be. Hey, why don't we pray together just in our final few minutes? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, help us to make a prison break, to find the freedom that you have for us from this area of depression. I'm praying for for people in the room tonight that maybe even right now, boy, this message is just for them. Maybe they've uh, been experiencing some low mood. Maybe they've been fighting depression for the last few weeks, months. Who knows? Maybe even years. I pray tonight that you would help them to find hope here tonight in your word. And maybe it's uh, coming forward a little later to talk to a leader. Maybe it's calling Knox Community Care and speaking to a a skilled counselor and say, hey, look, I really need to talk about some depression. Uh, Whatever it may be, I pray that they'll take that step and they'll take some steps forward towards full freedom in that area of their life. Just while our heads are bowed, I'd love to just say a prayer for those that uh, would be honest enough to say, hey, Mark, I'm battling a little bit with a form of depression now. I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you in any way, but I'd love to pray with you. Just while our eyes are closed, would you mind just lifting your hand up if that's you? I want to say a prayer for you in a moment. Just lift your hand up right across this. Young, old, single, married. Your hand's going up. God bless you for your honesty. Just pop your hand up and put it back down again. Father, for these people that have lifted their hands, still lifting hands now, Lord, you see what's happening in their world. You see the low mood and, and what they're feeling. And, and maybe they don't understand what's going on. It can be very, very complex, very confusing. Lord, I'm praying for your grace to come alongside their life tonight. Father, if it's an oppressive, oppressive attack from the, enemy, Lord, from the enemy, we rebuke that in Jesus' name. We pray that you would dispel the clouds and they'd see the light of the sun again. Lord, if there's some other causes or reasons, I just pray that you would give wisdom. Most of all, I pray for peace for peace to come into their world. Lord, that this is going to come to pass. And Lord, that they would be able to give attention to their soul, to what's happening in their world. That this emotion would actually be a healing thing that would lead them to take some steps, Lord, that would move forward and they'd be able to enter fully into your joy. Bless them tonight in Jesus' name. This message is based on one chapter from my book, Prison Break, Finding Personal Freedom. It's available from amazon.com and word.com.au. God bless you.